Welcome to Brad Kyle's Brad's Motor Works podcast. We'll be talking about some things about BMW, some things of cars in general, and some things about car repair. I hope you find it educational, enlightening, and I hope it increases your understanding of your car. And maybe along the way we'll have some fun too. Thank you for listening, and here we go. Episode number 116, Diagnosing a Neglected Engine. On this one, I'm going to be reading an article, uh, well, it's actually an article from uh, what's called Vehicle Service Pros. Uh, The author is Tim Jones. Uh, It's dated March 31st of of 2021, and um, it was written by a shop owner. Okay, now he also works on cars like I do. So I'm going to be reading it verbatim. Uh, However, at the end, I'm going to give a kind of a shorter version of something that I went through that was very similar. And uh, I'm also going to, this is going to kind of highlight, and this is not a negative on the shop owner or anything like that, but based on, you know, the the story that he writes, uh, I have to kind of make the assumption that they're probably a shop that's a general repair shop. In other words, they work on anything that rolls in. Okay, and there are uh, disadvantages to that. And I've I've done a podcast in the past where I talk about, you know, as far as it's called finding a great repair shop. And one of the things that you should ask yourself is that, you know, as much as people might think that a specialist in anything really uh, is going to be potentially more expensive than someone who just says, well, I work on anything. And that's not always necessarily the case. And what I'm going to kind of highlight after this story is told, so to speak, is that because I do only work on BMWs, you know, I I see things uh, over and over again, potentially, or because I know the systems so well, because I study them and and, uh, take classes and stuff, that the diagnostic process and and testing process can be uh, sometimes quite highly, uh, you know, shortened, okay? Um, and you can be much more efficient and you know again based on uh, the story he tells I I really it it sounds like you know he's having to do a lot more testing and stuff and that's all okay it's the way it is okay ultimately he found out what was wrong with the car but the sad part about it is is right in the title diagnosing a neglected engine everything he's going to be talking about is because this person the owner of this car uh, didn't change the oil when it should have been Okay, as simple as that. Um, Believe it or not, the the number one uh, unperformed service in this country, in the United States, is proper tire pressures. Okay, people don't check them, or they don't have a shop check them. Okay, number two is oil changes. Okay, so, and again, there's another podcast I do, I talk about uh, preventative maintenance. Okay, in, in... the U.S., and this figure I'm going to give uh, is, to me, an amazing figure, and, and it's pretty much been standard. I mean, it's relative to, you know, the cost of, of, uh, of things really anywhere, uh, certainly not just in the U.S., but I certainly have read and, and know about this figure for many, many years, and that is, is the, in the United States, in the amount of unperformed maintenance service that people don't have done, done to their car, the dollar amount of that is typically anywhere from 40 to 60 billion dollars a year okay of service that would normally be the factory manufacturer says this is what we recommend you do at the mileages or times or whatever um, to properly maintain the car so every year 
us uh, U- U.S. drivers, owners, uh, you know, of cars, uh, we don't spend about 40 to $60 billion a year on our just normal maintenance, okay? So things are going to happen where maintenance becomes a repair. So in any case, um, quick commercial. Um, I, if you'd like to become a, a Patron member and support the podcast, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, it's up to you, obviously. Uh, but if you if you want to do that, you go to podbean.com, do a search for Brad Kyle's MotorWorks podcast. Uh, when you get to that homepage on the upper right-hand corner, there's a, a, a uh, icon for become a patron. I'm basically asking for $5 a month. You can do less. You can do more. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you can make it where it's automatic, uh, or if you want to just do one time, um, the advantage that I've, I've kind of put together for you, if you want to do that is there's a number of podcasts that I put together, um, that are only available, uh, when you pay the subscription. Okay. Um, you could pay it one time and download them all over a period of a month or less than that, obviously. And there you go. Uh, you have them, but <clears throat> the ones that I made that are uh, only available as a subscri- subscription are ones that if you apply the knowledge that I impart to you, hopefully, um, you could save yourself thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars over the life of, over your life as far as uh, in the in the world of car repair and, and driving, and, and I think you'd also probably uh, hopefully reduce, you know, any frustration level that maybe car repairs tends to uh, cause you to have, so... From that standpoint, I think it's, you know, it's worth it. And, uh, you know, it helps to support ongoing training and, and obviously doing the podcast and so on and so forth. So hopefully you check that out. And uh, I appreciate it if you can, um, if you can subscribe. So, again, this is um, going to be verbatim. And then uh, as far as the, the article, and, um, uh, you know, it's basically going to tell a quick story of what this guy went through to figure out what was wrong with this car. And ultimately, again, it was it was all because of lack of uh, proper oil changes. So, and again, at the end, I'll I'll give a quickie as far as what I went through on a particular car. So, diagnosing a neglected engine, a 2013 Hyundai Tucson with 70,000 on the odometer had a very very overdue oil change sticker. Came into our shop with a start stall condition as well as a check engine light. I'm not sure what it is about Hyundai vehicles that come into our shop, but it seems like every one of them that shows up for service is at their first appointment ever. I know that Hyundai is having their fair share of problematic engines, especially on their gasoline direct injection platforms, but I just cannot accept it's all on the manufacturer. In my experience, it is almost an everyday occurrence that the engine is out of oil, the oil filter is not a factory filter, and the air filter is 100% restricted, yet somehow these engines are getting warrantied when the connecting rod is sitting on the ground from obvious lack of maintenance. I have heard two different theories on their engine failures, low-speed pre-ignition and metal left in the blocks during manufacturing. By the way, in regards to low-speed pre-ignition, these are my words, um, that's what's called LSPI, low-speed pre-ignition. If you want to know more about that, I did do an episode previously. It's episode number 19. It's called Turbocharged versus Non-Turbo Cars. Okay, And I really expand on what is LSPI and, and, and what, what engine applications are, is it happening in. And uh, like I say, if you want to really know way more about that, um, that's certainly a, another previous podcast to check out. So <clears throat> in, in any case, continuing on. 
Low-speed pre-ignition. When I first heard of LSPI, more commonly known as Meganoc, I was sitting in a class by automotive seminars presented by John Thornton. I think all of us in the, in the class were taken aback by this little-known phenomenon. What I remember from the class is LSPI is difficult to detect and it's significantly more violent than a typical spark knock concern. This type of knock is associated with turbo GDI applications, GDI meaning gasoline direct injection by the way, but also affects non-turbo GDI engines as well. I know Hyundai Kia has offered software updates to aid in reducing this condition, but tuning the engine will not eliminate all concern. Manufacturers are still struggling to maximize power output on GDI platforms because of the problems presented with LSPI. Another aid has been developed to help minimize this, this phenomenon. There is a new engine oil additive that has been engineered and will be purpose-fitted into the ILSAC GF6 spec of engine oils. For consumers out there who think the 1999 oil change special is a quality service for your GDI vehicle, I'd seriously consider a more reputable service center. Luckily for this customer, they managed to get the last year available for the Tucson without a GDI application. Otherwise, they may have already needed an engine or two. Okay. And again, I talk about that. <clears throat> it's not just oil changes. It's getting the proper oil. Okay. And uh, it's certainly getting a quality oil filter itself. Okay. So... As much as, you know, not to down, uh, downplay or throw under the bus quick lube places, regardless of their name, okay? But, you know, the thing they're selling you, obviously, is convenience. Uh, the question you have to ask yourself is, when it's all said and done, have you really done a good thing for your car? Okay, maybe you got your oil changed in 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, but did they put in the right oil, as a, for instance? Did they use a quality oil ch uh, filter? Okay, so... Uh, you know, you usually get what you pay for normally. And, and in some cases, you, you don't get what you thought you paid for. Or you do, but you're, you're emphasizing the wrong thing, as in speed versus quality, okay? Speed versus the right parts. So anyway, continuing on. The issue exhibited. A 2013 Hyundai Tucson with 70,000 on the odometer came to our shop with a start-stall condition as well as a check engine light. I performed an auto scan and found a P0017 in the engine controller. Uh, real quick, that's considered a, what's called a PID or parameter uh, identifier. Okay, In the world of car repair, um, this is through a scan tool. And so when a, um, in this case an engine, when it triggers a fault code, the engineers have designed it to where there's what's called a PID or also called a freeze frame or snapshot. And what that means is, is that when that fault code is triggered, the software engineers have designed it to where it will uh, take different readings from the engine, whether it be RPM, load, engine temperature, vehicle speed. Um, you know, it, it, they, they decide what parameters, and it will snapshot those parameters of when the fault occurred. So the idea being is that if a technician has a proper scan tool, not only do they get the fault code, but they get this PID or this parameter. In other words, it's things that were happening when the fault set. And like I say, that's called a PID, okay, just so you know. So um, I noticed that the oil change sticker was well overdue by mileage. I confirmed the concern, and sure enough, the engine would start and stall. If I added some pressure to the gas pedal, I could get the engine to continue to run off idle. 
The idle quality was terrible, but as I increased engine speed, the engine run, ran well. To my surprise, there was oil in the engine, and it didn't sound like it was going to explode. I had an idea about what was wrong with the vehicle from simply manipulating the gas pedal and understanding the nature of the DTC stored in the PCM. I thought that a can a cam jump time or a cam phaser was stuck outside of its normal default base position. This came to mind because when I was in the driver's seat being mindful of the symptoms the engine presented, I was reminded of what a stuck open EGR valve felt like. I decided that I needed to pack, back up my hypothesis with some relevant scan data. I'm thankful that some manufacturers saw the need for accurate cam timing PIDs and answered the call. It seems like some manufacturers are embracing the need to have accurate numbers regarding cam position while others severely lack capability. When a DTC sets on a GM vehicle, the numbers are replaced with zeros. I am baffled at why any manufacturer would think that would be a useful way to deal with cam timing PIDs. In my experience, when, dealer, when dealing with exhaust camshaft position PIDs, they usually incorporate a minus sign whereas intake camshaft position PIDs reflect positive integers in the PID value, although I have seen a couple of curveballs that don't apply to that last statement. I have seen on VW Audi products that when an intake cam has jumped into a retarded position, a negative can show up before the intake PID value. This is a dead giveaway that you have a mechanical problem. There are typically two possibilities that cause this. A cam reluctor has shifted on the camshaft, and the cam is retarded, I should say, or the cam is retarded past its set point. As I started to work through this customer's concern, I had two questions in my mind that I wanted answers to. When the PCM commands the exhaust cam to move, how does that impact the numerical value? In other words, does the value go more negative or positive? And what are the total cam phase degrees? Knowing the ca total cam phase degrees can support theories on what components may be faulty. This is particularly applicable when a cam phaser has moved to its max travel. On a V-engine design, it's much easier to obtain known good specifications if the problem is associated with one bank. The reason being is that we have a whole other side of the engine for analysis. The unaffected bank will give you something to compare to. On a four-cylinder engine, this can raise the level of complexity as there is no known good side to compare to. Sometimes we can get lucky and find that the intake cam phaser and the exhaust cam phaser have the same degree of travel. In the case for this Hyundai, there is a 10 degree difference in cam phase capability between both camshafts. In my experience, when a cam timing DDC is set, we typically don't have phase control in our bi-directional tests. PCM will not allow. I can only imagine that manufacturers do this deliberately so a collision cannot occur between valves or pistons. After clearing the DTC, the code immediately reset, so I had to get a little, dir little bit dirty to get answers to questions I have. As I pulled up my CAM data PIDs, I saw a set point PID of what the PCM desired, and I saw a PID indicating what the actual position was. There was a 14-degree discrepancy. The difference between the negative 112 degrees desired position and the negative 98 degrees actual position. I suspected the numbers were not going to match based on how it was running. This didn't tell me if the cam moved in the, into the desired direction of travel or the opposite way. If I knew which direction in the numerical scale was retarded or advanced, I could rule out a mechanical failure a lot sooner. Time to get dirty. 
In my next test, I full-fielded the exhaust solenoid and phased the cam as far as it would go. What I saw was that the actual cam value goes from negative 98 to negative 71. That answers my first question as well as my second. The set point being negative 112 degrees and the maximum retarded position is negative 71 degrees. This equates to roughly 40 degrees of phase angle. Since the cam moved in the direction that the PCM would normally move it in, I suspected that the cam solenoid valve may not be returning to its resting position. Some other possibilities include the camshaft phaser has a mechanical issue, the chain jumped one link, or there is a hydraulic failure in the engine outside of the solenoid. Like I have heard Brandon Stickler say often, let's reach for the low-hanging fruit. A known good cam crank correlation waveform is available in the service information from the manufacturer. That also meant I had to get my scope and hook it up to the car. I felt confident that I could accurately diagnose this vehicle's fault. The exhaust cam solenoid on this engine is very accessible. I removed the solenoid for physical examination. When I took it out, I saw how neglected this engine was. The solenoid was contaminated with oil deposits and carbon. When I shined my light through the solenoid oil passages, I could tell the solenoid valve wasn't returning to its resting position. I used a can of brake cleaner and an air gun to clean the solenoid out. I used my jump pack and powered the solenoid quite a few times. This allowed the valve to, to, to return to its resting position. I installed the solenoid back into the engine and boom, the engine started and ran fine at idle. I noticed as well as well that my cam timing desired an actual PIDs Agree. This car isn't fixed yet because I still have not addressed the root cause of the problem. If I allow the customer to leave with the car right now without servicing the oil, a comeback was sure to follow. I recommended the service advisor suggest the replacement of both cam timing solenoids and a BGEPR oil change service. BGEPR is a chemical supplement that is added to the engine oil before the oil change is performed. This chemical is engineered to break down sludge and release stuck piston rings and degunk other engine internal components. I have personally seen some truly fantastic results after performing this service. Oh, these are my words. Uh, I agree with them. Okay. BG as a chemical product for, for automobiles is a great company. They produce great products. And they are always you know, looking for ways to chemically help fix issues that develop, whether it be in engines or fuel systems or whatever the case may be. And so I'm very familiar with uh, that product and that service he's talking about. Uh, EPR, BGEPR, the EPR part means engine performance res uh, restoration. Okay, so I have done this service to cars, and yes, it's quite amazing how it can help solve issues. So uh, in this case, it's solving an issue from a an engine that didn't have the oil changed properly as far as uh, it was way overdue. So... When I perform a BGEPR service, these are his words, I like to actuate the solenoids. Doing this helps clean them out and get engine oil chemical into the cam phasers. BG does not recommend driving the vehicle or raising the engine RPM past 1200 RPM with this product in the oil because it can significantly dilute the engine oil and cause bearing wear or damage. Since we are a professional shop, we understand the value in using quality parts and materials. We always install a factory oil filter on the engines that have experienced repeated mechanical failures. Hyundai also has also released technical service bulletins advising on engine knocking noises associated with aftermarket filters. 
Oil changes are not very profitable in most circumstances, but it's worth note. But it's not worth blowing up an engine to save a few dollars on a cheaper oil filter. The more time I've spent in this industry, the more I have come to desire quality parts. To find quality, our parts are more frequently sourced from the dealership. There are some instances where an aftermarket part outperforms the OE, but I often request an OE part, especially if we have if we had issues with aftermarket parts in the certain with certain applications. The longer the suggested labor time is for a replacement part, the more likely I desire to put an OE part in the vehicle. I couldn't imagine performing a 15-hour heat, heater core replacement and using the cheapest components you can get your hands on, only to need to disassemble the entire vehicle again due to a part failure. This is not just the warranty labor time you are eating. All the production lost from other jobs you could be profitable on is compounded. In this case for this Hyundai, the labor time for an oil control valve is 0.5 hours. Many times I do not have any control over where the parts come from, I can only suggest. After all, business, businesses exist to be profitable. I think this is often a source of frustration for professional technicians. We desire to give the best quality repair to the customer and gain the maximum e efficiency for both ourselves and the shop. After I perform the oil filter change, I replace both oil control valves. I cleared out the fault codes and drove the vehicle out of the bay for a final road test. Shortly after driving, the malfunction indicator lamp came on, which meant I had headed back to the shop to grab my scan tool and scan for DTCs. This is what was stored, a P0080, which is exhaust cam solenoid circuit high. I was thinking to myself that I remembered plugging the connector in, but I wanted to recheck my work. I examined the solenoid and found the connector fully seated. I removed the connector, plugged it in, and it felt normal to me. I approached the service counter and advised them to order the solenoid from the dealership. I felt confident that this would fix it because the original solenoid didn't have a circuit fault, just applying some logical thought to the situation. I removed the replacement solenoid from the engine and found that one of the male terminals bent up in the solenoid connector cavity. I have seen this a few times in the past. The only thing I could think of that would cause this issue is someone attempting to mate the, the connector incorrectly. If the connector doesn't easily seat, there is probably a valid reason. I told the service advisor that I wouldn't recommend bending the terminal back because it is difficult to ensure a proper connection between the male and female terminals. We installed the OE part from the dealer and the vehicle has not been back. With a firm, a firm understanding of how the hydraulic portion of the VVT system malfunctions, excuse me, functions, by the way, VVT is variable valve timing. Okay. Let me start that over again. <laughs> With a firm understanding of how the hydraulic portion of the VVT system functions, my instinct allowed me to visualize what was wrong with the vehicle. Without taking the time to familiarize ourselves with the systems we work on, we often begin our analysis far from the actual fault and as a, as a result invest a lot of unnecessary time. In this case, I had to use the scope to prove what was wrong with the vehicle, not that there is any wrong in going that route, but I'd always prefer to remain efficient as well as accurate. The moral of the story is to take the time to learn about the ins and outs of the systems and components we face daily. Familiarize yourself with the tools you have and learn what they can and cannot show you. Your accuracy is likely to increase, just like your profitability and confidence. Okay. 
that's the end of the article. Um, and like I say, the, the reason that I did this particular podcast is, again, obviously this all started out because of someone not properly taking care of their car. But from the, the diagnostic technician standpoint, um, you know, like I say, he it took him a while to figure it out. He pulled out a what's called a DSO, a digital storage oscilloscope, which years ago would be considered a laboratory uh, testing piece. Nowadays, they're quite common in automotive repair shops, okay, is you're seeing an actual visual picture of what the electrical electrical uh, signal looks like that a component is either uh, getting or being controlled by, or uh, you're, you're actually looking at whatever signal or voltage is going down a particular circuit. And like I say, it's kind of like an EKG, okay, think of it that way from the medical field, so... In any case, uh, quick, uh, I, was, I mentioned that, that I was going to talk about uh, the same kind of thing that happened to a car I worked on. This was a BMW 3 Series, and the original complaint was the, the customer complained that it made this like engine ticking noise and that sometimes it wouldn't run very well. And so she brought it in, and you know, sure enough, the service engine soon light was on. It never made the noise for me, okay? Uh, but however, the, the uh, faults that were in it were sure enough, they had to do with, with the variable valve timing system. Okay? But the first thing I noticed when I pulled it in, BMW has a system that's called CBS or condition-based service. So it will tell you when a, a oil change or when a service is due. And it does this based on, uh, it either looks at miles driven and or uh, you know, engine parameters, be it uh, engine speed, load, temperature. Um, and so in this particular car, it's a countdown timer that, like, let's say you do an oil change and you reset that system. It will then show, okay, the car is due for an oil change in, in 10,000 or 12,000 or 15,000 miles, depending upon the car. Okay. It counts down from that point, which makes sense. In other words, you start driving the car and it's showing, okay, now let's say it started at 10,000. Okay, now it's due at 9 and 8, 7, 6, so on and so forth. When it gets to zero, it puts a negative number in front of the number, and it starts counting back up. In other words, now you are overdue by X number of miles. Okay? On this particular car, a normal oil change, as per BMW, is done at 15,000-mile intervals. Okay? So this car comes in with a complaint that it had, and, the, and again, I never heard the ticking noise. But it was showing negative 15,000 miles on the oil change. In other words, it was overdue for the oil change by thir- it was it was overdue by the oil change by 15,000 miles, which meant it had gone 30,000 miles since the last oil change. And I'm going like, oh my God, is that right? You know, because. If someone does an oil change and they don't reset that system, it doesn't know that it's had an oil change. So it will keep on counting as if it's still due for one. And I'm going like, you got to be kidding me. Unfortunately, these cars, the later BMWs, don't have a dipstick. So it's not like you can just pull a dipstick and look at the condition of the visual condition of the oil. There is no dipstick. Okay. So uh, I tried... Uh, doing a, you know, Vanos, BMW calls their variable valve timing system Vanos. I tried doing a, a test where you can, the scan tool will make it operate those solenoids like what that guy talked about in the article, okay? 
bottom line is, is that I talked to the customer and verified that she was like, you know, I asked her, I said, how long have you had this car? She told me. And I said, um, the car is showing that it's 15,000 miles overdue for the oil change. Do you recall the last time you had one done? I mean, is the car, is it showing that properly? And she was like, well, I don't know. Yeah, it's been a long time. I've been really busy. You know, it's hard for me to get the car uh, worked on and so on and so forth. And I'm going like, wow. So I sold her an oil change. Um, and in doing that, the oil filter, a BMW uses a paper element oil filter. It's not a spin-on filter. It's in a canister. It's what's called a canister-style filter. So when you go to replace the oil filter, you're actually seeing the filter. Whereas in a spin-on type filter, it's inside of a can, so to speak. So you can't really actually see the paper medium, okay? In a canister style, you can. This thing had become so dirty that the hydraulic pressure of the oil trying to go through, through this dirty oil filter, it was actually slowly crushing the oil filter. That's how dirty it was, okay? So right there, you know, that verified that, yeah, it's been a while since this uh, uh, car had an oil change because it's trying to crush the oil filter. The crazy part about it is that every single system in a, in a car as far as in regards to oil and oil pressure and oil flow, every one of them typically have some sort of a bypass valve. So the idea being is that if the filter, regardless of what uh, what type it is if the filters become so clogged or restricted that it gets to where it can hardly pass in the oil filter it will open this bypass valve and it will bypass the oil filter so now the engine is at least getting oil but it's getting non-filtered oil okay basically it's like the last uh you know uh whatever you want to call it it's the last ditch effort to try to save the engine okay so whether this had been happening to her car or her engine or not, as far as it bypassing the oil filter, who knows? But the bottom line is, is that it was, it was actually trying to crush the filter. So ultimately, I ended up doing an EPR service, just like the guy talked about in the article, and uh, put fresh oil in, new oil filter, obviously. And then I was able to, I cleared the fault code, and I was able to then run the Vano system through a test procedure to where it cycles it and you can see is the is the uh, cam timing changing the way it's supposed to and ultimately that all worked properly so even though she was extremely lucky in that it hadn't caused any more issues there was no way as I told her there's no way of knowing what the condition of this engine is okay and I explained to her about the bypass oil system and that I said, you know, I, I never have heard the ticking you talked about, but more than likely the ticking was because of there was some part of the engine was not getting proper lubrication flow. Okay? Not a good sign. So the whole moral of this, uh, this particular episode, folks, is take care of your car. Okay? Oil changes are pretty basic. They're simple. Okay? They're simple, but yet they can be screwed up. Okay? whether it's using poor quality parts or the wrong oil. So it's important that you get your car not only maintained, but maintained properly. And I still am an advocate of, of trying to find a specialist, okay? Or at least find a shop that you trust, that in talking with them, 
And, and again, I go back to uh, take a listen to that podcast. It's earlier on in my episode numbers that I did about finding how to find a great repair shop. Um, I talk about, you know, asking questions and finding out how many years their technicians have worked on, like your particular car. Okay. So cars are an investment and hopefully people take care of them because they'll certainly last a lot longer and give you many more miles of hopefully trouble-free type uh, driving. Okay. Reduce your frustration. Um, I only saw this particular car one more time after that. I don't know what happened. Uh, I may have even suggested to her the idea of the possibility of contemplating trading the car in and getting something else because of the the idea that there was no way of knowing for sure if she had done other engine damage that was hiding in the background. So, And this is all because of lack of oil changes. So, Take care of your car. Okay. So um, that's it for this one. I appreciate your listening. Uh, besides taking care of your car, you know, take care of yourself. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, don't work so hard that you're so frustrated and, and uh, you don't have the time of day to do anything and take care of other things in your life. That's just my own personal uh, thought there. So I appreciate you listening. Uh, again, a short commercial, you know, check out that link to if you want to become a, a patron of the podcast, I would really appreciate it. And um, as usual, if you want to get a hold of me via email, it's bkpodcast5 at gmail.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, we go from there. So I appreciate your time. Appreciate your listening. I hope you have a fantastic day and a great tomorrow. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's been an honor and a privilege to spend time with you. I hope you found this of value. Please share it with family and friends. Above all else, with all you're getting, get understanding. May God bless you and keep you. And thank you again.